0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Third Eye with Lorelai. I'm your host Lorelai, where we talk all things metaphysics. oh yeah that w- sometimes I find like the best song to open up the episode with and I'm like just I dig it <laughs> anyway welcome back to the show you guys thanks for coming back and seeing me for another week let's talk about some really cool stuff. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about every single episode. I feel like I say that every time. I guess we can just establish that I'm really excited to talk about these things. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about some cool stuff that I've been digging up. So the first two things that we're going to go over, obviously, are the crystals of the week. Now, I picked Iolite and Peridot eye for some reason is not in my crystals for beginners book so I actually had to look this one up and I found I love this website so if you ever have any crystal questions and you don't have a book this is a really great resource and this is energymuse.com they have so many things on here they've got crystals and jewelry and energy tools and intentions all sorts of amazing things so i looked up on energy muse iolite and this is what they say about iolite iolite helps to eliminate debt Instead of living in shame or regret, work with Iolite to climb your way out. The stone unites the mind, body, and spirit, emboldening you to reevaluate your financial life and become more financially responsible. Iolite pushes you to explore your behaviors surrounding money so you can eliminate debt once and for all. Iolite assists in breaking the cycle of debt by getting to the heart of the matter. It encourages you to address the issues that got you into financial trouble in the first place. How did you get there? Maybe it was an accumulation of honest mistakes. Maybe it was because you never felt worthy enough and overcompensated by buying things. Whatever the reason, the uplifting vibrations of Iolite can help you transform your relationship with money and rebalance your budget. Connecting with the raw honesty of Iolite helps you to prioritize your spending. When making a purchase, ask yourself, do I really need to spend this amount? Iolite helps you to rethink your purchases before you go through with them. Are you eating out when you could be saving money by buying food to cook at home? Do you have to buy a new dress for that wedding? Or could you wear one that you already own? I guess maybe I don't like that question because it just sort of insinuates that it's just women that are having these these financial issues whatever. This is what they wrote down. And of course, I only read the first two paragraphs in a sentence. (laughs) Anyway, so Iolite lends you the courage to say no to impulsive and unnecessary purchases so you can stop debt from piling up. Okay, so that's what energy muse has to say about Iolite. So the crystal Bible by Judy Hall actually does have Iolite in there. And this is what it says in there. So, iolite comes in colors of gray, violet, blue, and yellow. And actually, pictures of iolite—it is super beautiful. It almost resembles, at least to me, it's sort of like labradorite, but mostly blue, turquoisey green, purple. It's it's super pretty. Its appearance is usually small, translucent. Color changes with the angle of view. Uh, you can obtain it from specialty shops from sources in the United States. So if you're in the US, you could probably obtain it relatively easily. If you're not, it might be a little bit more pricey if you're not in the United States. Eyelight is a vision stone. It activates the third eye and facilitates visualization and intuitive insights when all the chakras are in alignment. It stimulates connection to inner knowing. It is used in shamanic ceremonies and assists in journeys out of the body. In contact with the auric field, Iolite gives off an electric charge that re-energizes the field and aligns with the subtle bodies, which is your chakras. Psychologically, Iolite aids in understanding and releasing the cause of addiction and helps you to express your true self, freed from the expectations of those around you. At a mental level, Iolite clears thought forms Emotionally, Iolite releases discord within relationships as it encourages taking responsibility for yourself It can overcome a codependency within your partnership. For healing, Iolite creates a strong constitution. It reduces fatty deposits in the body, mitigates the effects of alcohol, and supports detoxification and regeneration of the liver. This stone treats malaria and fevers, aids the pituitary, the sinuses, and the respiratory system, and alleviates migraine headaches. It also kills bacteria. For appropriate positioning, you want to wear as appropriate, and on the third eye, if all chakras are ready are already aligned. Okay, so that is Iolite. So let's move on to Peridot, and this is in the Crystals for Beginners book by Karen Fraser. and this is what she says. Also known as the olivine or chrysolite, chyrsolite. Chyrsolite? (sighs) Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Probably not, but (laughs) peridot has a beautiful green color that is prized as a gemstone. It is a stone of unconditional love, forgiveness, compassion, and other heart-focused emotions and experiences. It is also a cleansing and clearing stone it originates in egypt, ireland, russia and sri lanka. it's usually natural tumbled, polished and cut shapes. it amplifies energy. it's usually just green. it's chakras uh, it's associated with the heart chakra. you want it on or near your heart chakra as a necklace or bracelet or as a ring on your commitment or your ring finger. Peridot helps with promoting positivity, all types of love, forgiveness, compassion, healing emotional trauma, lessening ego, prosperity, luck, aura cleansing, balancing the chakras or balancing chakras. It works with clear quartz, rose quartz, and smoky quartz. A good usage tip is you want to carry or wear Peridot when you feel you need a little extra luck. Okay, so that is Peridot from the Crystals for Beginners book. So let's look up Peridot from the Crystal Bible. Now, of course, this is on my Kindle, so give me a sec while I look it up. Peridot, doo doo, -doo, Peridot. It comes in olive green, yellowish green, honey, red, or brownish. It's usually opaque. It's a clear crystal when faceted and polished, and it's usually quite small. It's easily obtained, but good crystals are rare. So a really good polish, like a good size, and a good looking crystal is pretty rare. So I guess most of the time they're not, you know, like the best quality, those would be harder to find. It's sourced out of the United States, Brazil, Egypt, Ireland, Russia, Sri Lanka, and the Canary Islands. In ancient times, Peridot was believed to keep away evil spirits. It is still a protective stone for the aura. This stone is a powerful cleanser, releasing and neutralizing toxins on all levels. It purifies the subtle and physical bodies and the mind. It opens, cleanses, and activates the heart and solar plexus chakras and releases old baggage. Burdens, guilt, or obsessions are cleared. Parado teaches that holding on to people or the past is counterproductive. Peridot shows you how to detach yourself from outside influences and to look to your own higher energies for guidance. This stone releases negative patterns and old vibrations so that a new frequency can be accessed. If you have done the psychological work, Peridot assists you to move forward rapidly. This visionary crystal helps you to understand your destiny and your spiritual purpose. It is particularly helpful to healers. For any whoever, if you're listening to this, I think you need to get yourself some Peridot. <laughs> anyway, psychologically, parado alleviates jealousy, resentment, spite and anger, and reduces stress. It enhances confidence and assertion without aggression. Motivating growth, Parado helps to bring about necessary change. It assists in looking back to the past to find the gift in your experiences and shows how to forgive yourself. This stone promotes psychological clarity and well-being. It is attuned to the attainment of spiritual truth and regulates the cycles of life. Mentally, Peridot sharpens the mind and opens it to new levels of awareness. It banishes lethargy, bringing to your attention all the things you have neglected consciously or unconsciously. With Peridot's aid, you can admit mistakes and move on. It helps you to take responsibility for your own life, especially when you believe it is all someone else's fault. The influence of peridot can greatly improve difficult relationships. For healing, peridot has a tonic effect. It heals and regenerates tissues. It strengthens the metabolism and benefits the skin. Peridot aids the heart, thymus, lungs, gallbladder, spleen, intestinal tract, and ulcers, and strengthens eyes. Man, it seems like it does almost everything. (laughs) Placed on the abdomen, it aids giving birth by strengthening the muscle contractions by lessening pain. Its energy balances bipolar disorders and overcome hypochondria. For positioning you want to wear at the throat, place as appropriate, especially over the liver in contact with the skin. Okay, so that is Peridot. And I made excellent time. My goodness, only 10 minutes and I'm already done with the crystals. What? What's going on, Lorelai? Why are you finishing up with the crystals so early? I got things to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about the quote of the week. I have two, obviously, because, you know, I like I like working in twos. Why not? The first one is acknowledging the good that you already have in your life is the foundation of all abundance, and that was by Eckhart Tolle. The second is the wound is the place where the light enters you, and that is by Rumi. Okay, moving along to the topic of the week. I was really excited about this because I'm a huge fantasy fan. I love J.R.R. Tolkien. I love Harry Potter. Obviously, if you've been listening to my podcast, <laughs> you know I love Harry Potter. Um, So I chose the Devot Kingdom. Now, I've glossed over the Devot Kingdom in the past, in one of the past episodes, and i i defined it back then but i'll define it again just because you know it's been a while since we talked about it and i think maybe a refresher would be good so let's talk about that let me see I gotta look it up in my glossary here the debit kingdom so this is Actually, in the Crystal Bible, because obviously some crystals can help you access the Devic Kingdom a little bit easier. So she talks about the Devic Kingdom in Judy Hall's The Crystal Bible Book. And what she says, the Devic Kingdom is the home of the devas, or natural spirits, believed in esoteric thinking to inhabit or rule over natural objects, such as trees, rivers, or mountains. Though devas are generally invisible, people with clairvoyance can sometimes see or communicate with them or gain intuitive access to the Deva kingdom, the energetic level at which these spirits exist. Interesting, right? Like an entire kingdom is existing within our own existence. So I thought, hey, let's let's check that out. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Right. So the one thing that I wanted to talk about, because some of you may know that I am married to somebody who is a physicist and so one of the things that he talked about that's always piqued my interest and how this relates, I will, I promise, I'll bring it right back around and ties in. I swear it, because when I talk about, the, you know, the Devit Kingdom and how it is a existence within ours, but on a different plane of existence, if you will, it's almost like, let me, let me explain. <laughs> so, one thing that is spoken of that's sort of big in the scientific community is string theory. And whenever he talked about this, it sort of piqued my interest because it gives way to the possibility of different planes of existence due to these strings and how it separates our own through space-time and that sort of thing. It is vastly complicated. And I tried to look up a way to discuss this in very layman's terms because as all of you I'm sure if you have any of you have ever looked into any sort of scientific data and you read some of the papers oh, it gets oh, it gets so complicated and it's just kind of like oh my god I got to go back and look at some of, what did they what in the world are they talking about with all these things so I did my best and I looked up a little bit of string theory and I found an excerpt from this very, very long, very detailed and very easily to read, believe it or not, paper. And it's basically, it's called string theory for kids because you know what? I'm not going to lie and I'm not ashamed. I needed the kids example of things because (laughs) I don't really know if I could follow the main things with science because it's, it is, it's really real. I'll tell you. So they go over everything and we went down I went all the way down to this article down to (sighs) string theory and the knots in the rope of string theory and I guess the main thing is is that you know string theory kind of connects two different theories in science that are separate from one another they disagree with one another and string theory is supposed to be like this bridge that connects everything it's it's the theory of everything if you will And I know that Stephen Hawkins was really into this, right? So knots in the rope is in reference to knots that are in these strings that are existing that are basically invisible. You can't really see them, but if you were, you would see them vibrating. And they're talking about the knots that are in the rope or hidden dimensions. And what they say is, physicists were desperate to solve the problem of making strings move and having string theory work. They knew strings could answer many fundamental questions. Therefore, no one fell off of their chairs. Well, a few did. When the only way to make strings move was if space had 10 dimensions. This is a very new thing. One way to look at it is to say, this is crazy. Theorists gave it a positive spin, like politicians do, that no other theory ever determined the number of dimensions space should have. So now we know we have been wrong all these years. How can space have 10 dimensions when all we experience are three? Only three of the dimensions are large. The other seven are tiny. The rope to school actually does not have 10 dimensions. That was a previous discussion, by the way. That's why it might not sound familiar. It is four-dimensional. Once the distance from the school is fixed, only the angle and distance to the rope and the time are required to locate a bug or any point in the rope. The coordinates just have to be very accurate to locate something as small as a particular fiber or bug. String theory's extra dimensions all curl up on each other into tiny, complicated, seven-dimensional shapes that look like knots. The knots are about the size of a string that is so small that no equipment will ever see them. A knot of curled up dimensions exists at every point in space. They might be like small chunks of Swiss cheese or more pretty like Play-Doh with twists and holes. The curled up dimensions exist at every point in space the way an angular dimension is at every point along the rope mathematicians have thought about spaces with many dimensions long ago and worked out the math to deal with objects having more than three dimensions. This made the work for physicists a little easier. We do not notice the knots and the bumpiness of space for the same reason we do not notice quantum effects. They are far too small. Take the period at the end of this sentence. The knots in the space are much smaller than that. Put 100 small dots across a period, pick one of those dots, and put a million dots across it pick one of those and put a million small dots across it better sharpen your pencils right (laughs) you would have to do this division of a dot into a million dots of five times to get as small as the curled up hidden dimensions of space okay so that was that was a lot I, I felt like I followed that pretty well I hope that you guys did too so basically what I was trying to do with this is try to, it it helps me kind of see how science gives you a way to make some of these things that seem pretty grandiose, that it might be a thing. And especially if you think about how much space is expanding and how much is out there already, it kind of gives way to more possibilities of other things. And that's why I wanted to talk about the debit kingdom. And that's why I talked about knots and the strings and string theory and having all of these different dimensions that are hidden in the strings that are pretty much impossible to see or find, but are there. So let's talk about the Devot Kingdom and what that actually is proposed. So when I looked up what the Devot Kingdom was, I came across this really great article about the Devit Kingdom. And this is... The Devah Kingdom and What Are Nature Spirits? And this is off of i-uv.com forward slash the Devah Kingdom, What Are the Nature Spirits? And it was published on the Aetherist Society by BZAM Riker. And... This is what they say, in the following extract about the Kievic Kingdom taken from the Nine Freedoms, Dr. George King explains what nature spirits, also known as the devas, really are and highlights how important it is to radiate the right kind of energy rather than energy discolored by wrong thought to these beings. This is not just a moral teaching, but a very practical and important one, an understanding of which is key to improving physical conditions on earth, including the weather. The devas are intelligences who inhabit physical bodies of a different type of matter than the gross material bodies of man. They live on the mental physical realms of existence, which consists of the same type of etheric matter, which constitutes their bodies. Now that's kind of heavy. So the way that I read that and the way that I envisioned that, if you're one of those people that need to have more of a visual example, is what they're, what they're saying to me is that the devas don't have like how we have flesh and bones and blood to make up who we are, but theirs is of light matter or of sound matter of different types of material that make up their bodies. Does that make sense? Kind of, sort of. It says mental physical realms of existence would consist of the same type of etheric matter. So whatever etheric matter looks like, that's what the devas are made of. <laughs> okay. I hope that you guys are still following along with me. <laughs> I really wanted to do a good job of explaining where my brain was coming from with the Devit kingdom and what other people are explaining. So onward. It is because of the difference in vibrations of this matter that ordinary man is unable to see the devas, or to detect, with his basic five senses, the realms they inhabit, even though these are exactly dovetailed into the physical planes of Earth. Now, just as physical men are interrelated one with another, so are the devas interrelated upon their plane of existence. Just as physical man is existing in different stages of evolution, so also are the devas. Some of these are enlightened beings who have even greater power and wisdom in their own way than any terrestrial master. Some are more primitive and are commonly referred to as gnomes, elves, and fairies, which have been seen by clairvoyants and often by small children. There are even supposedly genuine photographs in existence of fairies. The devas are responsible for the manipulation of all primary and secondary energies upon the basic as well as higher planes. They are the nature spirits who, unlike man, work strictly according to law. If you bring a flint into sharp contact with the wheel having a serrated edge, you will produce a spark containing heat. If you direct this spark onto a wick soaked with a combustible fuel, you have a flame. According to metaphysical law, you have produced those conditions which are favorable for the invocation of and subsequent action of a fire deva. In this case, the flame produced is a direct result of the manipulation of secondary or basic energy by the devas. Had your wick been soaked with water, you would not have been able to produce flame, or the conditions would have been unfavorable for the deva to bring about the result determined by you. Okay, so it goes on to more, but I think that's a pretty good introduction, if you will, to what the deva kingdom is. So I picked another article, too, because I wanted to have more than just one. And that one seemed like it was pretty good, but I didn't want to get too heavy either. And I already felt like I went in kind of heavy with the string theory. So (laughs) So let's continue to line it up a bit. So this article is by Janine Rose Keel. This article is called Devit Kingdom. How can connect with crystals? So this is what she's saying. Everything in nature is the result of the Devat Kingdom, as they are the builders of form and work under strict karmic law to bring about certain conditions using nature's finer forces. During ancient times, we had a close relationship with the Devat Kingdom and cooperated with them to create harmonious conditions upon the earth, as well as utilizing them for healing, communication, and other purposes. However, this connection was lost after the fall of Atlantis and man became ignorant of these beings. These beings exist in the aethers within which the particles of matter exist. There is hierarchical structure within the devic kingdom. The lesser devic kingdom which consists of gnomes, fairies, elves and un- undines. Huh, I don't remember seeing that one undines work under the direction of the devic gods. The word deva means shining one. The thought patterns of mankind have a prominent effect upon the aethers, and since becoming ignorant of the existence of these beings, man has brought great calamity upon himself due to his wrong thought and the energy from these thoughts the devas must use. It is time to awaken to the realization we must be aware of what we are thinking and remember. Whatever energy we send out will be used by these beings who work tirelessly for us, Now the new age is upon us, it is time once again to reestablish our connection with these beings to bring about the harmony that once existed upon our world. One of the ways we can start to do this is through the use of crystals. Okay, so... One of the crystals that she talks about using is the crystal fluorite. And this crystal is a blend, as she says. This is the crystal that's blend of soft green with a distinctive arrow of purple and white fluorite. This crystal is aligned with the heart and crown chakras and the air element. It is enhanced by the musical notes F and B. Ooh, that's interesting. Did you guys know that there was musical notes associated with crystals? <laughs> I think I'm going to have to talk about that one later. (laughs) That is amazing. That's so exciting. (laughs) I'm going to have to look that up. (laughs) Okay. So anyhow, she only discusses that fluorite is one of the crystals. And that's the only one that she lists. So I figured, okay, well, that'd be interesting to talk about. And apparently when I looked even more into, okay, so what other crystals would call to the devas or what would, you know, call specific devas. And apparently in the devic kingdom, the least evolved forms of all the elementals they correspond to the elements like earth air fire and water the elementals are better known as gnomes fairies sylphs and nymphs and i got this information from the liquidcrystals.com and what are the davis of the crystals and based on their level of wisdom they increase in what we call size so the queen of the fairies for example is about four to five feet tall whilst a basic elemental is only a half a foot tall The highest, most wise of the devic kingdoms are the Elohim. These are governing devas that rule an entire category. For example, there's an Elohim of the entire mineral kingdom, one for each element and one for each of the seven main rays of creation. These beings are large in the human idea of space, standing hundreds of feet tall. Between the elementals and the Elohim, we find the devas these are separated into three main categories subdevas general devas and master devas also called divine creators so in reading all of this it seems like and i've read in some articles that spirit guides and especially angels and devic beings are interchangeable Which seems kind of crazy, right? Because you would think that, oh, no, no. Angels are their own separate thing. Spirit guides are their own separate thing. And the devas are their own separate thing. Which is possible, right? Anything is possible. Especially when we're talking about metaphysics, right? I mean, it seems like everything is whatever. I mean, it seems like anything could be a thing. But in reading about this, it almost is like, well, all of these things are interchangeable and can be the exact same thing. So, you know, you could have these higher beings that are, you know, fairies that are maybe they're a master deva and they are an angel. They're more of a divine creator, if you will. But I could be completely wrong, but I'm just grabbing from all these different sources. And it seems like everything's pointing to, okay, the devic kingdom is where your fairies and your gnomes and your nymphs are and they are associated with all the different types of elements and then they have a hierarchy just like we do in our physical plane you know their hierarchy you know you have your higher beings and then your lesser beings when we talk about the devas we see that they are in a different plane of existence and that they exist to help us Especially when it comes to our earth and restoring our peace and restoring Earth to its homeostasis, if you will, and raising consciousness and awareness by calling upon them and their help. Now, one thing that I found to be really interesting, and I actually got this idea from my sister, and she would create these sigils to put on fairy houses and you could use some of these devic beings to help you with your growth in your garden. And sometimes, I mean, if you've ever been to places, any Celtic area like Ireland or Scotland, especially Ireland, and I have firsthand account from this, they have these fairy walks and I absolutely love this. So I went to Sneem in Ireland. And they had this fairy walk and you went along it and it was the most amazing little thing. They had all these fairy houses and you were to leave pennies there as offerings to the fairies. Otherwise, they would get mad at you. And so, <laughs> I actually went through and I didn't know that. And so I actually went through the first time and no pennies and then realized at the end that I was supposed to leave pennies. So I went through again and left two pennies on each fairy house porch thinking, oh, that's the last thing I want to do is go back home and realize I had really angry fairies following me around. (laughs) At any rate, so that's pretty much it with the Devot Kingdom. I mean, there isn't a whole... When I looked up everything, that was like sort of the easiest way of explaining the Devot kingdom is that it is a kingdom that has gnomes and fairies and nymphs and what was that other one that was a weird name i was like what in the heck Uh, where are you weird name that i was weirded out by and did not really understand what that meant hold on i'm going to find you Gnomes, fairies, elf undines i totally thought at first that it said undies Gnomes, fairies, elves, and undines, undies, but it's undines, undines, which, you know what, for the sake of understanding what any of this means, let's look up what that is really quick. Undines. Okay. Category of elemental being associated with water. First named in the alchemical writings of Paracelsus. Okay. So apparently it is a water nymph who becomes human when she falls in love with a man, but is doomed to die if he is unfaithful to her. What? <laughs> the Encyclopedia Britannica.com says Undine or Undine is also spelled Ondine with an O. It's spelled U-N-D-I-N-E but it's also spelled O-N-D-I-N-E. Mythological figure of European tradition, a water nymph who becomes human when she falls in love with a man but is doomed to die if he is unfaithful to her. Derived from the Greek figures known as Nereids, attendance of the sea god poseidon Undine was first mentioned in the writings of the swiss author paracelsus who put forth his theory that there are spirits called undines who inhabit the element of water well that's freaking interesting <laughs> hey this is what we're here to do we're here to learn about all the things and we just learned that there are more than just you know fairies and and gnomes and apparently undines are water nymphs so that's freaking cool anyway okay so since we defined undines undines (laughs) sounds like undies undines okay let's talk about some of the other creatures and the first thing i want to discuss is fairies so i looked up fairies off of historic-uk.com forward slash culture-uk forward slash the origins of fairies. And I thought this was a pretty cool article because it goes over all the different types of fairies. And this is written by Ellen Castello, And she says, most of us think of fairies as tiny creatures flitting about on gossamer wings, waving a magic wand, but history and folklore tell a very different tale. When belief in fairies was common, most people didn't like to mention them by name and so referred to them by other names, the little people or the hidden people. Many explanations have been given for a belief in fairies. Some say that they're like ghosts, spirits of the dead, or were fallen angels, neither bad enough for hell nor good enough for heaven. There are hundreds of different kinds of fairies. Some are minute creatures, others grotesque. Some can fly and all can appear and disappear at will. The oldest fairies on record in England were first described by the historian Gervase of Tilbury in the 13th century. Brownies and other hobgoblins are guardian fairies. They are useful ones and do housework and odd jobs around the house. In Aberdeenshire, Scotland, they are hideous to look at. They have no separate toes or fingers. And in the Scottish lowlands, they have a hole instead of a nose. Banshees are less common and more sinister. They usually only appear to foretell a tragedy. In Highland tradition, the washer by the Ford, a web-footed, one nostriled buck-toothed hag, is only seen washing blood-stained clothes when men are about to meet a violent death. Goblins and bugaboos are always malignant. Avoid them if possible. Most of the nature fairies are perhaps descendants of pre-Christian gods and goddesses or are the spirits of trees and streams. Black Annis, a blue-faced hag, haunts the Dane hills in Leicestershire. Oof, I'm sorry those of you from the UK that knows how to pronounce that. Leicestershire perhaps in Leicestershire, and gentle Annie, who governs storms in the Scottish lowlands, are perhaps descendants from the Celtic goddess Danu, mother of Ireland's cave fairies. Mermaids and mermen, river spirits, and spirits of pools are the most common nature fairies. Marsh gas makes the flickering flames that hover over marshy ground and gives rise to the belief in jack-o'-lantern. Jack-o'-lantern, or will-o'-the-wisp, is a highly dangerous fairy that haunts marshy grounds luring unwary travellers to their deaths in the bog belief in fairies has not completely died out as recently as 1962 a Somerset farmer's wife told how she had lost her way on the Berkshire downs and was put on the right track by a small man in green who appeared suddenly at her elbow and then disappeared so that's really interesting so those are all the different types of fairies some good some bad some sound really gross and then there are gnomes so i got this off of another encyclopedia britannica website britannica.com forward slash art forward slash gnome and what they say about gnomes All of a sudden, I'm going right to unicorns. Um, We're not talking about unicorns. We're talking about gnomes. Okay, gnomes. Gnome in European folklore, dwarvish subterranean goblin or earth spirit who guards mines of precious treasures hidden in the earth. He's represented in medieval mythologies as a small, physically deformed, usually hunchbacked creature resembling a dry, gnarled old man. Gob, the king of the gnome race, ruled with the magic sword and is said to have influenced the melancholic temperament of man. The term was popularized through works of the 16th century Swiss alchemist Paracelsus, Para, Paracelsus, in which gnomes are described as capable of moving through solid earth as fish move through water. So that's pretty much it for the different types of fairies and gnomes and undines, which I think is really interesting. That's pretty much the Devit kingdom. So I suppose you can call upon these beings through meditation and prayer. So you can set out intentions and ask these beings for help. And I, I assume that there is a devic being for pretty much everything that you can think of so if you're having issues with one thing or another you can contact any sort of devic being i know that there are some darker devic beings but i think if you maintain a semblance of positivity you're going to contact one of equal energy if you will so as long as your intentions are pure and not of negativity like you're not trying to hurt somebody else, then I think that I think you'll be good. Just as a caveat to all of that talk. At any rate, I think that that's pretty much it. Please let me know if you have any questions because I feel like this topic is going to open up some questions. And if you do have questions, please feel free to ask on the Facebook page or on the Instagram feed or on my Twitter account. I have all the social medias, all of them. Please contact me, message me. Feel free to delve into these conversations because this is what we do. We're gonna work together and and we're gonna find out new information and really grow in this metaphysical amazingness. So at any rate, that's it. That's it for the Devit Kingdom. That's it for this episode. And I hope that you really enjoyed it. I really loved looking up everything because it was so interesting. I really didn't know very much about the devit Kingdom. So I was happy to go over it this week. Anyway, I hope that you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend and the rest of your week. And I look forward to talking to you again in a few short days. So go out there and enjoy the sunshine. Stay happy and healthy and love and light to every single one of you and i'll talk at you again very soon If you find yourself interested in receiving an intuitive tarot reading, contact me at 3rd e-e l-O-R-E-L-E-I at gmail.com or you can message me on my Instagram at 3rd.e.with.lorelei or on Facebook at third eye with Lorelai Podcast to set up a reading. I can do Zoom or we can meet in person as long as we are wearing those face masks and practicing social distancing just to be safe. As always, love and light to you all, and I look forward to reading you soon.